The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, July 17th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So the journalists over at NPR wanted to call someone an asshole. If you cover government long enough, that idea hits you from time to time. Hey, can we call this asshole an asshole? Oh, no, no, no. Not even on the air. FCC, heaven forbid. They were just asking, can we call an asshole an asshole on a podcast? It's legal, it's allowed, ah, but is it ethical? Enter Mark Mehmet, NPR Standards and Practices editor. He weighed in and he said, no, you cannot use the word asshole on a podcast. NPR podcast will be an asshole-free zone. We, we advocates of free expression and free speech, will improve our ability to communicate via linguistic prescriptivism. Mehmet explained, and in doing so, thoroughly insulted the word asshole, and evoked the kind of word libel that Torquemada used to condemn impure thoughts. He said, The most common offensive words and phrases are among the least creative ways of expressing yourself. They're akin to cliches in the sense that they're easy ways out. We should always be the news outlet that revels in language. There are so many wonderful words. Use them. I submit to the prefect of parlance, to the ayatollah of expression over there, that asshole is a wonderful word. It is expressive. It is connotative. It has thrust and verve. There's a great joke. I won't delight you with all of it right now, but the punchline is as follows. You know, Superman, you could be a real asshole. And that joke doesn't work as well if Superman is called a jerk or a heel, a dope, a fool, a gutter snipe, a malefactor, a ratchet scoundrel, a wrongdoer. To say a person is an asshole is to say something quite specific. To wit, let's take the Republican field. Maybe you don't like any of these guys or that lady. But if you go down the list, you find that not all are assholes. Marco Rubio. Maybe he's callow. Maybe he's insincere or opportunistic. He's not an asshole. Jeb Bush. All right. There's a lot of language with the Bush name. And you might not like Jeb. But when you really think about it, he's not really an asshole. Ben Carson. Now, there's a guy you would never vote for. He's deluded. He's over his head. He's unqualified. He's a dangerous anachronism. But he's not an asshole. Now, Chris Christie, that guy's an asshole. What an asshole. Rand Paul might be a wackadoodle, but Ted Cruz is an asshole. It means mean-spirited, but it also means kind of out of control. So if a person is a malefactor, if he's maybe evil, but that evil is directed and it has purpose, then that person isn't really an asshole. But if the person's malevolence is hurtful to him too, or just kind of freeform and not really serving the guy's agenda, that guy's an asshole. Now, notice I said guy. For the most part, assholes are men, but they don't have to be. A lot of insults directed at women are gendered, you know, like bitch. But since everyone has an asshole, why can't women be assholes? In fact, women can be assholes. Take the characters in the TV show Girls. They're all complex. They all have different motivations. But Hannah, and especially Jessa, they can both be real assholes. I'm here to speak up for the asshole. You know why? Because they came for the jerkwad, and I said nothing. Then they came for the asshole, and then they came for me. If we eliminate asshole, we constipate the language. Now, you want a word that NPR should eliminate? How about this one? Indiana's controversial new religious freedom law. The program's proving controversial. The 28 most controversial pages in Washington. For more on that controversial movement. Controversy. Controversial. It should mean something. It means nothing. 
I have never on air or on pod, to the best of my knowledge, I've never used the word controversial. Now, I may have in speaking off the cuff, but if I could think about it, if I think about a script, I always take that out of the script because I just think it's a hedge to preserve faux even-handedness. It doesn't serve the listener. It doesn't serve the reader. It doesn't say what is controversial. You always have to figure out, all right, what makes this thing or person controversial? So why not just say that in the first place? Think about things that have been called controversial in history, the Earth's flatness. Muhammad Ali changing his name, but also the Confederate flag. So some of those were, some of those weren't, some of those are. It's meaningless. So when a news outlet says, French police raided the Paris offices and home of a controversial comedian today, they could have just said the police raided the home of a comedian who often deals in anti-Semitic material. That was the case there. Or when they say, one of college basketball's most successful and controversial coaches has died. Could have just said college basketball coach Jerry Tarkanian, a member of the Hall of Fame who had frequent battles with the NCAA has died or whose loose attitude towards following the rules has died or whose renegade nature drew the ire of the basketball establishment. Isn't that better than controversial? Controversial is the enemy of clarity. It can also be a sidestep to the truth. Ratliff says he wasn't a fan of proposed changes to the textbooks that would have called scientific consensus about climate change into question. Those changes were actually avoided because, after an uproar, textbook manufacturers removed the controversial passages at the last minute. I think their controversial means inaccurate. Those passages were inaccurate. Controversial can mean a point of contention. It can mean temperatures. It can mean tempers are running high. It can mean experts disagree with popular sentiment. It can mean popular sentiment disagrees with the experts. Controversial can mean anything. Donald Trump is standing by his controversial statements about Mexican immigrants. It can even mean asshole. On the show today, it's an Antan twig, but first, guitarist, songwriter, member of the Strokes, Albert Hammond Jr. on musicality, clarity, and his billions and billions of insights. So much of art is about perspective. Rock music is no different. Use your illusion, the grand illusion, double fancy, everything psychedelic. And of course, this great moment in rock and roll perspective. And then we'll play the part of Spinal Tap when they're at Elvis's grave. And he goes, It really puts perspective on things, doesn't it? Not you too know? much. It's too much yeah, fucking perspective now. My God, I love that. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> So we come to Albert Hammond Jr.'s latest album, The Strokes Rhythm Guitarist, sometimes lead guitarist. It's a fluid situation with the Strokes. Uh, <laughs> the album's called Momentary Masters, and the title was inspired by astronomer Carl Sagan's book, Pale Blue Dot, A Vision of the Human Future in Space. Albert Hammond Jr.'s here. Hey. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm, I'm well. So this whole deal with the perspective, where this one blue dot, do you find that, that kind of insignificance, do you find it comforting or discomforting? Oh, super comforting. Yeah. I know it's a book, but I saw it on, like, everything nowadays on YouTube. It's like a three-and-a-half-minute clip where he reads. Our planet is a lonely speck 
in the great enveloping cosmic dark. He's just stating everything we've known is basically in this small dot, perspectively in the universe, very tiny, but it kind of makes you feel like you can create your own meaning. Oh, you know? okay. Kind of like you live in a meaningless world, but you can create your own meaning. Right, so, so that I don't idea, know if that's... That idea of meaninglessness is either, oh, what, what's it mean, or, nah, it's okay. You know, what's it really mean? No, it doesn't mean anything, so you can create it, yeah. your own one. It's almost kind of freeing. I was watching the Seinfeld web special, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and he Love was kind of debating this with Bill Maher, and Bill Maher was like, uh, it's very, he's maybe more of a depressive type guy, <laughs> and Seinfeld was like, I love that idea, that we're, we're no big deal. Maybe it's because he's so famous, like, it puts it in perspective for him, and I'm thinking, not that you're that level of fame, but you've been through a lot of crazy stuff in the rock and roll lifestyle, so maybe sure. that's more appealing and calming to someone like you. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I, I really don't know why. It's just something that um, I find fascinating. Speaking of Seinfeld, he had this documentary called Comedian. Yeah. He's going to Bill Cosby's show, and he's talking about comedy and saying how he keeps on doing it and doing new work because he feels like one day he'll, he'll have some kind of answer through his work. Yeah. And I remember just seeing that, and that was, like, really touching to me. I felt like, oh, yeah, you just keep on pushing through with what you know best, and in that you'll find some kind of answer to life. We're lucky if we can have the kind of jobs where you could look to that. I mean, there's this whole trope in sure. society. Sure, I mean, let's, I'm, I'm only speaking of that, that part. I don't, it's, every time I say something, I always feel like, like very valid. There's the other side, yeah. which is super depressing. No, but I totally, I totally identify with that because like, that's a big value for me to have that kind of job where I don't say, you know, oh, I, I, I work hard and I play hard or I keep my work and life separate or even the whole trope of, you know, no one on their deathbed ever regretted putting more time in the office. Like I don't live that kind of life. And so maybe I've made certain sacrifices because I get to live the life where the most important thing that I'm doing is my work. And it's great if you think that way too. And probably the work is better because. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky, that's okay. Let's go back to that. If yeah. you're lucky, because I'm just thinking <laughs> about having maybe a, a job that you didn't feel like that. And then it could almost feel like you're taking away from your life. But I definitely feel whenever I work harder, my work is better. And I feel like it overall makes my life better, how I communicate with people, just things I think of. Or Have you done things professionally which were essentially for the money or a sacrifice that wasn't, obviously you sacrificed learning your craft, learning your skill, suffering maybe with before you were big and signed, even though the strokes were pretty successful early. But did you have big moments where you were like, I'm only really doing this for the money or this, this my soul's not into this? It's funny, I feel like maybe I struggle more now getting my solo stuff off the ground. Um, yeah, of course, you always, this things you always, you've done for money, the certain, or for it to pay for something else. I think we were in the business where it started to change. So bands would have less money to do stuff, so you would do certain corporate shows to keep your band payroll so you could do things that you wanted to do and not have to ask there was a time when the idea of being on a commercial or, or doing a corporate show, someone would be against it. But now, but nowadays, if it funds a tour or a video you wanted to do or whatever, yeah, I feel like it's it makes sense. I know some people look at that and say, "Oh, that means 
music is less pure or artistry is less pure or removing the line of what the definition of selling out is. But I don't look at it that way. I look at it as like things are so amorphic and there are just more openings and you should be flexible. And if playing a certain corporate gig that's not soul killing gives you opportunities, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it really, I guess it depends on your perspective. There you go. I mean, I one time heard Buddy Holly on the radio changing one of his songs into like a Chevy thing that he did like live in the radio. I guess that's what they would do then for yeah. ads. And it didn't diminish what his songs or him <laughs> meant to me. It's just the game he had to play at the time that he lived in. It's okay. Every day, it's a Chevy Nova. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was something just like that. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, actually. Come and roll with me. I, I think it kind of changed. It all depends, though. It's like, you know, when bands could sell a lot of records and every, rock and roll was huge, it was so easy for you to be a rock star and just be like, fuck you, everyone. I do whatever I want. Exactly. And now yeah, when trashing like, hotel rooms is easier when, you know, it's just a tiny fraction <laughs> of the Well, you know, and it role. just kind of yeah. gives for that attitude. But now when like you like share with the label and they're like these people who want to change the system. So it's not like this big corporation you're trying to fight against. It just feels different. It feels weird to say fuck you to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's just a different place. I understand what the fuck is, but who's the you in the fuck you? That's the question. Like what now? Yeah, like saying fuck you. Who's the well, you? Well, I just you're think you're rebelling you. in a different in a different way. I think if you're doing that now, you're kind of just saying it to yourself. Yeah. You know what? I feel like you have to. It's you have to find different ways. It's just it's just, it's just different. I, I thought about that when people ask me like, oh, you know, like. What's it like being a rock star? What does that mean? I don't know if if that exists anymore. The, the, the fans kind of give you that, and that doesn't really ex- exist the same way as it used to that people look at. Yeah. When you were young and only with the Strokes, and I can't say when you were a Stroke. It's a weird band like that. It's not like the Beatles. You were in a Beatle. You were a member of the Strokes. Mm-hmm. It's like Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> Billy, Billy was never a Smashing Pumpkins. Anyway, when you I know were, what you're saying. Yes. When, you were, when that was your thing, do you think you had perspective or, or you didn't even have time to think about what life philosophy was. It was just too no, crazy. I definitely just... did not. I mean, I definitely had thoughts. I wasn't on... Yes. On, uh, you had to write lyrics somehow. Yeah, but but uh, back then I was a little more of an emotional roller coaster. And as fun as that is, I, I, don't, I find I don't really work when I'm super happy or super sad. It's kind of just... I kind of... When I'm in the middle and I have more time to understand both sides then that's when the best stuff comes out. So what do you think this newfound perspective, it's also tied up, you got sober, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. So I mean, the other th- the thing about sobriety is literally can mean druglessness or drinklessness, but it's also perspective, right? It's also a yeah, sober. It was just, but also I tried to ride two sides for a long time and then it became clear to continue making music and have a life, I couldn't do one of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it was more like. Could you chose this one for us? Yeah. <laughs> Getting sober, I feel like it's just it's the smallest thing of changing. You know, what I mean, it's like an upside down pyramid. It's just like the beginning of change, and then there's so much that comes, and that kind of w- what took so long to get where I am now. It's just when you when you change for a while, you don't know what to do or. To think, I kind of felt dehydrated, and like in my in my mind, I felt like I was standing by a river and watching it go, but not being able to get into it. Just so confused. I'd ask myself the strangest questions. I have it written down. Just like I didn't understand. I almost felt like was life over. That's how like where where I was. Was it was I done? Should I just? 
forget whatever I was and go somewhere else. I was very, very confused. I couldn't figure stuff out. And then I kind of gained, over time, I gained a new curiosity for things. Very consuming curiosity. And then that's kind of what led me here. So when you say when you question was life over, is that a de- is that you're saying a it was depression? depressing for yeah. sure? I yeah. mean, I, you don't realize suicidal depressing. Mm, I mean, you can always anyone can spiral into a, that thought. I feel like that's a comforting thought in people. It's like a mechanism self coping. It's like you know that you have that trigger, but I n- never to the point of actually you know yeah getting a gun and trying to shoot myself or something yeah. like that. I mean, you could say I was suicidal for the stuff I was doing drug-wise. It's just no, no one tells you after all of that that you're going to have like a year or two for your mind to come back. You know, like you really feel like you lost a little bit. And then it comes back, surprisingly. And, you know. Where in, uh, where in your career are we talking? What it's years like 2010 to 2012. Yeah. Basically, like we, when I started recording Angles... The Strokes, I was kind of gone. I didn't write really write a song again until I did One Way Trigger for Come Down Machine. It's like a year and a half, something like that, before I wrote anything. I still did stuff, and it was getting better every day. So it wasn't like, I guess the way the way I'm describing it could, I was, I'm always curious how I describe stuff because it, it's so clear in my head, and sometimes going to my head out of my mouth, yeah, it gets tangled up. And then, of course, from your mouth to the person's ears and into his head. Oh, man. I mean, there's or, so many. It's so much harder just to yeah. get it, just to get it down from, from your mind to pen. Is it's got to be the hardest thing when you're trying to explain. Yeah. Something. It's yeah. Like when you're writing someone a letter and you're like, "Is that what I sound like?" <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that's why cliches exist. Like, well, yeah. I guess we all agree that this is a way. But to that's describe like whatever it. works, right? It's yeah. like uh, the Woody Allen movie. He, he said it so perfectly. They just. They just work. They, yeah. Every time you're like, ah, oh, but that's a cliche, and then it just, it always works. So how does this new found, somewhat new found, you know, l- living cleaner, living outside the city mostly, better frame of mind, how does it show up on the album? I guess it gives Because you... I want to reduce your entire life and well-being to these 48 no, minutes no. on the album. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that what summed up my life. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it just gave me, it gave me more time... To, to work, to be creative. I, I feel like people might find it hard to believe. You know, you think you need to get out of your head to be creative. But I, I find I'm most creative now. I'm just quicker and my ideas are a lot more dynamic now that I, I have more time to just kind of be mm-hmm. and not... I felt like before I used to do drugs just so I could take away the extreme feelings in my personality. You know, like that's kind of like what, how I got into heavier drugs was to kind of quiet the voices in my head. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of people regulating. Yeah, you kind of self medicating. Yeah, regulating. At but least I to... know this is a state that I know what will happen. You know, this is exactly. a state that I'm comfortable with, even if it's terrible for me. That's what's so funny. That's what comes in the end. Yeah. <laughs> so then you write a, So then you write a song like "Born Slippy." I mean, it's a good jangly, peppy beat. And I think it's a p- positive, opti- optimistic song. Yeah. As is, of course, Side Boob. Or yeah. the entire concept. Did you get of to hear the whole record? I hear. I heard it all. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. It's well, you don't good. understand. I I did a, did a interview this morning, and by the end, he was like, "Oh yeah, I haven't heard the record." And I was like, well, "How are we talking about this?" You know, my take on your earlier solo stuff was that it was also a little. You could definitely see the Strokes influence there because you influenced the Strokes. But this seems musically 
and lyrically much more upbeat, you know, much happier, much like we're going to tear this motherfucker down, more like we're going to build this motherfucker up. That's what it seems like to me. <laughs> yeah, great. That's, uh, I mean, that's kind of what I feel like about the album. I kind of want to play it for everyone. I want it to take over. You had amazing hair, like the first album with the strokes, like fuzzy, crazy hair. Yeah, I remember that. Now, yeah, now you're, you know, rocking a much more sedate hairstyle. Perhaps nature has dictated well, that yeah, to sure. you. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, I lost, I lost a bunch of it. I still think it looks good. It but... looks good. I wish I had, you know, I wish I could do the <laughs> island. You got the Roberto Benigni a little bit, you know, mm. a little, a little bit of that. But I mean, we know it's funny when I was a kid. Yeah. He was in Gleaming the Cube, which you probably would not. A fake Christian Slater movie, yeah, yeah. Christian Slater, right? You know, he had the whatever the side things were. Yeah, I was always like, oh man, I want that haircut. It's L- a cr- little did I know that it's just, you know, it's just, as you get older, as a man, you just that's your like receding hairline. Yeah. What's funny is look wise, I lo- if I saw the big hair, I would probably look even younger than I did when I was nineteen because I feel better than I ever have, but. Yes, some of my hair has gone. Has gone away. No, but my question is: Are there Thanks. any knowing? No, hey, look, look, no, you're no, doing no, it right. Uh, you're going uh, from no, outside we're... in. I did from inside <laughs> out. It's better that way. But I mean, my question is though. Yeah, at least you're on radio. People have you know <laughs> exactly. stand right there. Uh, my question is: Knowing what you know now, are there were there any hair regrets? No, I mean, I def I, though. I guess the one regret is I. I wish I would have left. There was this one time in the beginning where I had the front long and I could tuck it behind my ears and I really liked it and I cut it short and never was able to go back to that. But I don't know if that really, (laughs) you know, that's such a funny, only a certain area of the male population would understand that. Uh, But yeah, I get stuff about that on Twitter all the time. (laughs) People are like, why don't you go your hair? Like all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know, because clearly I can't do it or I just, it looks better like that now. I don't, I was... 19 I'm like 35 now I just well also part of it is that either because of the background of the strokes or how you know this idea was thrust upon them but there was a lot of style caught up with the idea of the strokes you guys are not only a great band you're definitely seen as exemplars of style when we started the idea I remember being with Julian and talking really about creating that idea of like what old pop bands would do where you'd know everyone and everyone in the band would have an impact towards fans yes. being a thing, but also having really good music. I feel like why is there nowadays just like one guy and four blurry guys and you know, music? So I just felt like that was definitely something we strived for, and I guess it worked. And no, now, it definitely And now did. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> yeah, but, well, one of the reasons it worked was it wasn't contrived. I think that's what no, you're saying. No, for sure. It yeah. was not. It was yeah. not. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was the same people you saw in the photo. The next day you'd see... The same people. It wasn't like, yeah, we we kind of like lived it. The Strokes never thought they were a hair band, but in retrospect, maybe they were. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I definitely was not thinking was not thinking of my hair then. I always feel like I'd be more successful had I had more hair. <laughs> really, a Solomon thing going on? Oh no, 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 a Samson thing yeah. going on. This is what I it's mean. Like Solomon? No, although wise, not the wisdom is not lodged in his hair. Albert Hammond Jr.'s new album. Momentary Masters. Thanks, Albert. Thank you. Can I, I call you Al? 
Yeah, you can call me Al. Thanks, Al. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> I had a question though. What is the meaning of that Samson? What is the what what is that story? The purpose of that story though? Oh, you mean in the Bible where yeah. she cuts his hair and he loses his yeah. strength? A lot of mytho there are many recurring myths across all religions where someone's center of power is something small like the Achilles heel. And they're right. all meant to illustrate a point. Which it's still I, the hair, though. People must have gone bald back then. What were they trying to say those yeah. to those other guys? There's a dad was reading it. He was just like, man. It used to be. Yeah, I know. It is depressing. <laughs> it used to be strong. It is depressing for the bald guys. Although, you know, the lifespan back then was about 32. So right. maybe there wasn't that much baldness. I That's know. how you knew you were dying. Yeah. Just going bald. Like, I'm going to die soon. <laughs> I've read the actuarial tablets. And now the spiel, it's an antan twig. Antan twig from the Old English word, meaning three-week period. Well, it's loosely from the Old English. We took some Old English roots. We crafted a modern word from these old parts, like reconstructing a woolly mammoth's DNA. What could go wrong? And not only is the word antan twig loose, in fact, this three-week period has been a little loosely defined. We're a little off because last week was supposed to be an Antan Twig, but Felix Salmon hosted the show, and he did a great job. Now, there's one thing I want to talk about, though. Felix talked about something called alt-porn. And alt-porn means porn, but the porn stars, and I suppose character actresses, have tattoos. Although, when you think about it, don't most porn stars have tattoos? So I guess alt-porn means they have a certain type of tattoo, but shouldn't alt-porn mean ladies in burkas or Quaker garb or just a kind of very modest modern dress, but the video, the porn video, is using a neti pot to stave off a vicious head cold? Now, that would be alt-porn. That is the alternative to porn. Anyway, thank you, Felix. Relatively flawless. I, however, make mistakes. Yesterday, I said the Tutsi slaughtered the Hutu. It was the other way around. And on the same show, in the same segment, I, I used the phrase strangled to death. Oh, God. On a previous segment, I was talking about Mediterranean states like Italy, Greece, and Portugal. Ray Lemon pointed out to me that this is beyond pedantic, but as a Portuguese-American, I feel the responsibility to point it out. Portugal's not actually a Mediterranean country. Its entire coastline touches only the Atlantic. I don't think that's pedantic. Maybe the definition of pedantic is stuff you already knew is pedantic, but stuff you didn't know or didn't realize is not pedantic. I'll tell you what's always pedantic, pointing out that the Englishman or the English person that I talked about is actually Welsh. No one cares except the Welsh. Yes, I'm sorry. Could I just give you, in this Anton Twig, a blanket apology? I'm always going to get that wrong, okay? But the Portuguese stuff is good. Also, good correction, Glenn Johnson. I was doing this spiel that was set in 1975, and I was talking about cigarette ads on TV, and Glenn Johnson pointed out that cigarette ads were banned in 1972. So that was the anachronism that if you found, you won the secret version of our home game. So these are all valuable. These are these are the listeners working together, working hard. They're solutions oriented. Reminds me of ants. We had ants in the office. They were purposeful. Now they're down to two. See, here's how it works. You get the ant farm. They give you the farm. They give you the sand, the little fake plastic. I assume it's fake barn. I don't think it was a working farm. And then they send you the ants through the mail. Hardy ants. But the ants are all of the same gender. 
worker female ants. Everyone wants the male ants. Everyone wants the Paul Rudd. No. And they advise you to go out and find a queen. Maybe scoop up some male ants too. Repopulate your ant farm. Now, finding a queen, that sounds easy, right? No. I mean, we're here in the West Village. Where am I going to find a queen? So, to answer this question, I asked a very wise man, the stand-up comedian Ant. The question I put to Ant was, where do I go to find a queen? Well, if you're in Vegas, uh, Siegfried and Roy are pretty good. Ant tried to help. It didn't work. And therefore, our ant farm has dissipated. We're down to two ants. But that's okay, because we now have office frogs. The gist has frogs. I was at my son's school. They got a pet program there. It was the last day of school. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing with the frogs? We think they'll survive. Fine, I'll take them. I'll take the frogs into the office. Andrea was, let's say, overjoyed, the same way you call a fat guy slim at the presence of these frogs. But you know what? We never named the frogs. So let me describe what the frogs look like. There are four albino frogs and one green frog. This is just as demographers predicted, majority minority. Because in the frog world, the whites are the minorities. Except in my tank. And we want you to name the frogs. We're having a name the gist frogs competition. Facebook.com slash slate gist or tweet us at slate gist. Here are the rules. Can't say Kermit. Kermit can't be a name. And preference for the name of these four white, one green frogs. Preference will be given if you take the form of the lead singer and backup singer naming convention. Like Graham Parker in the rumor, Morris Day in the time, Ted Mack in the heart attack. Do that. And I think we'll like it. Name those frogs. Frogs a wonderful animal. So is a lobster. If you successfully name the frogs, maybe you'll be the next lobster. The lobster is the award we give to the tweeter, commenter, emailer, or interacter who pleases us most. Our runner-up of lobster of this Antan twig is Troy Owen. Troy's a big fan of cycling, big fan of cyclist Alberto Contador. And Troy found this video of Alberto Contador online. Listen to see if the music is familiar to you. And now that song, I think that's our outro music that they're singing over, is actually a song written by a guy named Kevin McLeod. It's named As I Figure. Wanted to give him credit. Also, why not give credit to the French group Salmo? who composed our intro music. None of these were meant for Alberto Contador purposes. That's the runner-up. Here is the lobster. Also has an international flavor. A listener by the name of Freak Smet, who is a journalist in Belgium, also portrays himself as a freelance philosopher. That's very good. Tweets at free content, content with a K, or maybe freak on tent. Yeah, freak on tent. Anyway, that's where you find him. He gave me a shout out. In a Flemish newspaper, they were doing a Q&A with Freak, and they asked the question, Wie mag am Schuiven an u Drumdiner? Which I think is, who would you invite to your dream dinner? And he said, Kate Blanchett, John Oliver, Podcast Godin, Jonathan Goldstein, and Mike Pesca. So I'm pleased to be called a Podcast Godin. Another answer in that Q&A was, What is the... Balangrilski led die levin u heft geleerd. Not sure what that means, but I understand the answer. Ve yoda zegs do or not do, there is no try. 
I'm doing Yoda with the, uh, with the Flemish accent there. Anyway, you, freak, you're a super freak. You're better than a super freak. You're the lobster of the Antan Twig. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, our producer, is known for her controversial anti-shoe tree stance. She's a shoe tree shamer. She thinks they're just for old men. It's very controversial. Joel Meyer, managing producer, is from Upper Minnesota. And under the rules of Minnesota Nice, they have no word for asshole. They just call them Iowans. Please write your letters to Joel. Although, from what I understand about Iowans, you'll find the mail very difficult to navigate. That's from Joel. Hilarious Iowa stuff. Executive producer Andy Bowers really wants to hear the full Superman joke. I cannot tell it, but I will give him another punchline without the joke. You ready? I got your canoe! Here's your canoe! I got your canoe right here! The gist. Endeavoring to be the soundtrack to, if not your life, then Alberto Contador's sixth place standing in the current Tour de France. Come on, Alberto. Don't make me regret not choosing something from Jock Jams 2 as our theme song. Thanks for listening. Even with a shin bone destroyed. Honey, we are not going to fight about this, okay? I think I told you I'm a woman, not a rider. I heard it all before, honey. But Froomey is much faster. Froomey? Do you think I'm going to fight against that woman on his side? Che cos'è Cornivali? È italiano, come me. Ha! Un siciliano, ma sei matto. Ma devo sposare tutta la famiglia. Sono tutti così piccoli. Mira, I want solamente Alberto. Alberto, l'unico.